All right, good morning. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis, the 8th chapter. It is my privilege this morning to kick off a new series. We're starting a new series called Great Expectations. It is a series on thankfulness. I mean, how fitting for this season. Uh, did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Did everybody eat too much? Like always, right? That's what Thanksgiving is about, the food. Uh, so we're starting off on expectations. And here in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, Noah had some expectations. I mean, he just got released from lockdown. He just got out of the ark after a year of being locked in it. And he went and he offered a sacrifice to God. That's the first thing he did. And God showed up and made a covenant with him, put a rainbow in the sky. And this is part of that covenant here in verse 22. It says, while the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come and hear your word. Lord, we thank you that we can come and hear and that we can give of you our thankfulness. Lord, we declare that we are thankful for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, right now I ask you that you would bless this day. Lord, I ask you that you'd open up our hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Webster's Dictionary defines expectation as a strong belief that something will happen or that it will be the case in the future, a belief that someone will or should achieve something. Expectation has to do with future events. But a psychologist's definition of expectation differs from Webster's. A psychologist says that expectation is a premeditated resentment. A premeditated resentment. I mean, think about it. Some of the, our biggest expectations in life are also some of the greatest regrets that we have in life. Some of the greatest resentments. See, we all have expectations. We believe that something we're hoping for will happen. And we believe that when it finally happens, then I will be fulfilled then I will be happy, right? When I get, finally get married. When I finally have kids. No, that ain't happening. Well, when the kids get older. Well, I don't know about that either. Well, when they finally move out. Well, <laughs> how does it go? I mean, we all have expectations in life. And our greatest resentments in relationships are unvoiced expectations. When our expectations are unvoiced. See, we tell them, our kids, to meet certain needs in us. But rarely do we ever actually tell them what we expect of them. See, we have it built up in our head like, hey, if I have to tell you that I expect this from you, then it's not truly love. If you really loved me, you would do this for me. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. Let me, let me give you a hint, ladies. We're never going to figure it out. We, we may be an open book to you, but you are a complete mystery to us. We have no idea what's going on. We study you our entire lives. Just when we start thinking we got it down, it changes. I mean, so we don't know what is going on. So if you don't tell us what you expect from us, it ain't happening. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I remember uh, when Amanda and I were first married. Uh, we were at Costco. We were married for like three months 
And my parents' neighbor worked there, and she was a few, a few years older than we were. She was pregnant with her first kid, and she saw us and was like, hey, how's marriage going? And I'm like, it's great. And Amanda's like, meh. I'm like, meh? What do you mean, meh? I mean, are we living the same life here? I mean, I learned quickly that I let her answer first so I don't look like the fool. Let her answer, and then you just play off of what she says because, you know, I'm clueless. I don't know what's going on. I mean, expectations. How can two people living the same life, one is like, this is awesome, and the other one's like, meh. It's our expectation. I mean, one of the expectations she had was that I treated date night just as much as she did. I mean, it took me just as long to get ready and look good as it took her. And I'll tell you what, she was like, it was a lot better when we just showed up somewhere because it took all the mystery out. I mean, men, you just grab the shirt out. If it passes the smell test, you know, you throw it on, you just do your hair, you're good to go. I mean, I'm ready to go in five minutes or less. And in five minutes or less, she's just unpacked all of her makeup and got a game plan on what she's going to do. And, you know, the expectation there, men, if you want to really impress your wives, grab that shirt you're going to wear, grab a handful of other hangers and just throw them on the bed. Then go to your, your pants, pull out the pants you're going to wear, pull out like two more pairs and throw them on that pile, kick some shoes out from underneath the bed, let her see the pile. It looks like you tried on half your wardrobe just like she did, you know? No, I mean, we just put on the first thing and go. It was a letdown. Because she had expectations. We all have expectations in life. We do. Maybe it's your job. Maybe if I had a certain title or if I made a certain amount of money. Maybe if I changed companies. Maybe if I owned my own company. We have expectations. Maybe it's a social expectation. If I was friends with those people. If I lived in that neighborhood, y'all, there are neighborhoods in Billings that if you are not living in that neighborhood, you're not worthy to talk to those people. I mean, it comes out of their mouth within three questions. Well, I live in this neighborhood. Where do you live? And if you don't live in that neighborhood or across the highway, I'll tell you what, that conversation is coming to a close real quick. I mean, what is our expectations for life? You know, resentment is defined as a feeling or expressing bitterness or indignation at having been treated unfairly. And life is unpredictable. It really is. And do we let resentment creep in? I mean, there are things outside of our control. And when our expectations are just outside of our grasp, I mean, you, you go to grab it, it's right there, and then life takes a corner, and you can't grasp that. Do we let the resentment and the bitterness in because of unmet expectations? So how do you combat resentment? It's through thankfulness. See, thankfulness has to do with the here and now, the present. See, expectations are the future, but thankfulness is here and now. And no matter how many of my expectations don't happen in life, chances are life could be worse. They really could be. And if we look at what we have here and now as a blessing from God, and we choose to be grateful for the things we do have, it will combat resentment and unmet expectations. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Not just godliness. It's godliness with contentment. Well, that'd be great if we knew what contentment was. Oh, well, he defines it in verse 8. It says that, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Paul in Philippians 4 said that he'd learned to be content in whatever state he was in, whether he was in prison or free, whether he was hungry or full, whether he was rich or poor. He learned to be content in whatever state he was in. And this is so contrary to the American thinking. It really is. I mean, every great capitalistic society is what? You need more stuff. Buy more junk. I mean, we have learned to be discontent. You know, I have the old iPhone. I need the new iPhone. You know, we don't buy our cars anymore. We lease them because we have to upgrade them every couple years to keep up with the Joneses. We got to upgrade our houses. I mean, back in my parents' day, the average house was what? Like 900 square feet? 1,200 square feet. Now the average house is what? Like 28, almost 3,000 square feet. I mean, we're always getting bigger, always needing more. And we've learned to be discontent as a society. And so throughout this series, we're going to look at areas that we need to focus on being content and choose to be thankful for the things that we have in the present. Because thankfulness will bring contentment. And it'll overcome resentment. So this morning, I want to look at three areas to be thankful for in the seasons of life. Seasons of life. Now, nothing to me brings more expectation than the changing seasons. I mean, when the cold finally starts giving way to the nice warm spring air, everything starts coming alive. Oh, there's expectation in the air. And then when the the summer heat starts giving way to the cool, crisp fall, oh man, that's so nice. And you're like, oh, there's expectation. I mean, right now I have four kids and my house is bursting with expectation because we just kicked off the Christmas season. Christmas is next. Here it comes. What are we going to get? So my kids are just bursting with expectation. They can't wait. And so I want to look at the seasons of life. And here in verse 22, it says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Seed time and harvest. Now, it's very interesting to me that he used seed time and harvest, and he didn't say spring and fall. What does seed time and harvest represent? To me, it represents the busiest seasons of our life, the seasons of work, because seed time and harvest is a lot of work. I mean, you look at what does it take to actually plant a crop, I mean, you've got to fertilize it. Then you've got to till it up. Then you've got to plow it into rows. Then you've got to plant it. Then you've got to cover it. Then you've got to water it. I mean, it's a lot of work. And why do you do all that work? Out of hope. Hope that the harvest will come in. And so you sow in hope. And then when you harvest, what does that look like? I mean, you got to go out. you got to cut it. you got to bundle it up. you got to separate it. you got to store it. And then you got to go sell it. It's a lot of work to harvest that in. But you harvest in joy. That's what the Bible says. You sow in hope, but you harvest in joy. Now, that job that you have, at one point, it was a hope. At one point, you were like, oh, I hope I get that job. I hope I get that raise. I hope I get that promotion. You know, I hope my new business starts out well. It's a hope. How quickly has it become just a burden? 
you know, when you reap that paycheck, you were like, yes, look at this paycheck. Finally, we have some margin. You know, it's not tight. It's not paycheck to paycheck. And you're excited about it. And how quickly, quickly we lose our contentment in our work and in the things that we have. See, all of us have goals in life. We desire to be successful, whatever that looks like to you. Your house, your car, where you live, your title, how much you make. And everything we thought this job would bring us, when it doesn't happen, it's unmet expectation. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, a lot of people stop right there. And they use this verse and say, that's right. See, when hope doesn't happen, it hurts. It breaks my heart, so I shouldn't hope anymore. Why hope? Because if it doesn't happen, then you're just disappointed and it hurts. But they neglect the second half of that verse. The second half is when the desire comes. It's a tree of life. At one point, the job that you had was a tree of life. You were so excited that you got it. You were, you were living life. This is the blessing of God. Is it still the blessing of God? And how do we balance the risk versus the reward of hope? See, oftentimes I find that I put my hope in temporary things. Therefore, my joy is temporary. And see, we have been conditioned to be con uh, discontent by the world's system. And so we keep searching for other things to, to meet that discontentment. And so we start adding more and more and more to our lives. We start gathering more and more and more. And soon we're just busy. We are so busy. I mean, we as Americans, we pride ourselves on our busyness. We wear it like a badge of honor. It's like, how's it going? I'm busy. It's like the humble brag, right? It's like, well, is that a complaint that you're busy? Or is that like you're bragging because you're busy? Because oftentimes we view busyness as a full life, right? But really all we're doing is we're, we're chasing joy. Because this had joy for a little bit. Then this had joy for a little bit. Then this had joy. And we keep searching for joy and we keep adding on to more and more stuff. And it's just not working for us. So there's a difference between busyness and productivity. What is being produced? What is the harvest that our busyness is actually producing? Why am I busy? Am I busy because I'm running from something? Or I'm trying to drown out a regret? Or I'm trying to fulfill unmet expectations? Life is full of things that promise happiness and joy. It's full of it. But not everything is productive. Not everything produces good fruit. And the reality is if I place my hope on temporary things, then my joy will be just that, temporary. Psalm 62.10 says that if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Time and time again, the Bible tells us what we should and we should not put our hope in. He says, don't put your hope in men. Don't put your hope in chariots or horses or cars. Don't put your hope in dwellings or houses. Don't put your hope in nations or armies. Don't put your hope in your work. The Bible drones strength. Don't put your hope in riches time and time again. The Bible does tell us what we should put our hope in. Put your hope in God. 
Put your hope in his word. Put your hope in his promises. Put your hope in his mercy. Put your hope in his salvation. If you put your hope in eternal things, when they come to pass, that joy will be eternal, not temporary. So that means that we need to not only work towards earthly goals, but we need to invest our work in expanding the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.20 says, to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And how do we do that? By serving. By serving others. See, if I don't have an attitude of thankfulness, and I don't see that everything that I have is a blessing from God, then all I do is look at my lack. And I try to gather more, gather more, get bigger, get better, gather more. But when I look at it as a blessing from God, I can look up and I can see other people in need. And I can see if God gave me this as a blessing, he can give me more. And you can give to others. And you can give and you can start serving others because you no longer have to keep gathering more and more because you're thankful. You have a level of gratitude. You see it as a gift from God and it changes your response. See, when I find contentment, I stop laying up treasures for myself that I can get my eyes off of what I don't have. I can see what I do have and I can serve God and serve others with what is in my hand, with the harvest that I received. So seed time and harvest, we need to be thankful for the work that God has given us. And we need to be content in the harvest that we receive because it will determine the outcome of our life. So let's look at the second season of life that I want to look at. It says cold, in verse 22, it says, while the earth remains cold and heat, winter and summer, shall not cease. What is winter and summer? Winter and summer. To me, this represents like R&R. You know, this is rest. Are we thankful for the rest of God? See, when I specifically think of summer, I think of fun. I mean, when it turns mid-May, everyone is gone out having fun, right? Because that's what summer represents is fun. We need to have seasons of fun in our lives. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy the good of his labor. He said, this is from the hand of God. This is the very blessing of God that you should enjoy the work of your hands. He also says that building up wealth so another person can inherit it, that's vanity. Although the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children, at the same time, it says that it's a blessing of God. Stressful time, this boy, what you worked for. See, I was going through a really stressful time this spring. I mean, all our vacations got canceled in 2020, and you know, the supply chain just started rearing its head, so my projects started getting behind. And I mean, it was a stressful spring trying to get everything back on track, trying to move forward. We just went through a season where we didn't have a whole lot of fun, and I was stressed out. And Pastor Daniel, he took me out to lunch and was like, hey man, Maybe you need to find some fun in your life. And I'm like, you know what? I'm so stressed that fun doesn't even sound like fun right now. You know, I can't even think of having fun because nothing sounds fun to me. 
And he was like, well, you know, you used to go out and, and shoot targets and shoot stuff. Maybe you just need to go out and shoot something. I'm like, yeah, there's a few things I'd like to shoot, but maybe, maybe I will. So I went out, and guess what? It was okay. Then I went out again, and you know what? It was a little bit more fun. Then I went out again, and I'm like, you know what? That's actually kind of fun, going out and shooting stuff, watching targets blow up. It's great, you know? I told some guys at work, I'm like, hey, you know, I went out and shot a couple hundred rounds at plywood targets, and they're like, whoa, tell me you're rich without telling me you're rich. I mean, right now, how much does that cost you? I'm like, oh, didn't think about replacing that. That was all out of my surplus, you know? That's, that's pretty expensive to replace all that ammo and wood. But you know what? It was worth it. You know what? When you, it may cost you some money to have fun, but it's worth the investment. Because nothing will bring contentment in your life quicker than having a little bit of fun. It's amazing. A lot of us may not be having fun in life or not content in life because we're not having any fun. You know, so to some of us, like, well, I can only have fun if I splash a whole bunch of cash and fly somewhere and, and my vacation is big. Well, if you don't have the money for that big fun, you need to find fun where you can. Find the small things that are fun, that refresh you, that bring life to you. Because rest really starts with fun. I mean, I know people that are like, I can't rest. I can't slow down. It's in my nature just to be busy, busy, busy. Go, 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 nonstop. I can't sit down and rest. But it's amazing. You take them out and they have some fun. They can come back and kick back on the couch and just be like, oh, that was fun. That was a good time. And they can relax the rest of the afternoon. It's amazing. Rest really starts with fun. So then what about winter? Winter to me is really a forced rest. I mean, it is forced. Nobody wants to go outside in 20 below and six inches of snow. The people from California have no idea what they got into. <laughs> All you want to do is sit next to the fire and uh, with a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of tea, read a book, watch some movies, but you're like, nope, I ain't even looking out that window. I am staying in plant seasonal forced. And do you know that you may plant seasonal crops in the spring? They grow up, you reap them in the, in the fall. That that only lasts for a season. That only lasts for a year. There are crops, though, that will last for generations. They're called orchards. And do you know when you plant an orchard? In the fall. Because it has to go through a season of cold and a season of darkness in order to properly germinate and take root. What this tells me is that there are things that God wants to plant in your life, in my life, that require a season of cold and a season of darkness. And the things that he plants in that season of rest will last for generations to come. In fact, when those trees grow up, if they don't go through the same season of cold and dark, they won't blossom in the spring. They won't produce fruit in the spring. What that tells me is that sometimes when I'm not very fruitful, it's because I'm not thankful for the rest God has given me. I don't look at that rest as truly a time to rest and seek God. How do I treat that? Am I thankful for it? 
I mean, Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. Waiting on the Lord is sometimes hard. You're like, I don't like waiting. I got to do something. I got to get up and I got to move. Why do I have to sit here and rest? It's because it's a biblical principle. And there are things that he wants to do that will last for generations if we will take the time to rest and allow that seed that God planted to germinate and to take root. See, sometimes I limit the fruit of God by the way that I treat rest. I mean, sometimes I don't like stopping because that means that I have to deal with myself. I mean, I don't like dealing with myself. I don't like dealing with the voices in my head that tell me about my past failures. But if I don't stop and self-reflect, and I don't look at the year and say, okay, how much did I bring in? How much harvest did I bring in? What, what fruit did I bring in? Am I fruitful or not? A lot of times when I look at it, I can look back and say, ah, that's because there's something driving me. I'm not driving my life. Some regret is driving me. Some resentful bitterness from an unmet expectation back there is driving me. And it's only through that season of rest where you can take inventory, more fruitful. What is it in me that I need to change so that I can be more productive, more fruitful? Are there things that I need to prune? Am I just busy for the sake of being busy? Or have I slowed down and pruned some things out of my life? So many people are just stuck in a season of life, in a cycle because they never slow down and stop. And they're just destined to keep repeating that cycle, keep being driven by other things in their past instead of resting and waiting on the Lord. Because really when it's waiting on the Lord that he will tell you what is eating you up in the past, what regrets you have. And so if we want to live a good life, we need to find some fun in life. And we need to be rest and content. We need to rest content with what we have. So rest is a season of life. The third season of life here is that while the earth remains, it says day and night shall not cease. Day and night. How do seasons change? They change day by day. Day by day. So what does this represent to me? This represents God's faithfulness. Am I thankful for God's faithfulness day by day? The Bible says that in verse uh, Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The mercy of God is new every day. And do we look at every day as a gift from God? Because thankfulness is a daily attitude. It's daily. While you can be thankful for things in the past, you can't be thankful for the future because tomorrow's promised to no one. You truly can only be thankful today for yesterday and for what you have today. And I don't know if you thought about this, but both the future and the past are both lies. They're both lies. The only truth is really today. Why? Because the past. What do we think of the past? Oh, the good old days. Do you remember the good old days? 
oh, it wasn't like it was in the good old days. Really? You were content in the good old days? Ah, well, no, not really. Well, why not? Well, because, you know, we overlook the bad. We remember the good. We choose, we choose to change the narrative of the past just a little bit. See, in the future, the future is promised to no one. You know, you can have hopes and dreams, but today has its own problems. So that's not promise. That's a lie. The only truth you have is today. And what do you have today? Is it, are you thankful for what you have? Or are you trying to live in the past lies? Trying to live in the future lies? Or are you live in the here and now? See, it doesn't matter how yesterday failed us. Because God was faithful to bring us a new day, we can change our course for tomorrow if we choose to do it today. But that starts with being thankful. See, our hope shouldn't be on things that may come to pass. Our hope should be on the Lord. And when life happens, we have to kind of roll with the punches. I mean, Ecclesiastes says that, uh, what is it? Time and chance happen to all of us. Time and chance. You know, there, there are things in my life now that, that God orchestrated. And it was just time and chance. I knew the right people. Somehow, somehow I heard about something else and it elevated me to a new level. And we need to be thankful for all those opportunities. But if I view yesterday as treating me unfairly, it'll change how I approach tomorrow. If everything that I look at is, is yesterday was unfair, today is unfair. How I live for tomorrow is a whole lot different. So in closing, I want to ask you, how is your gratitude? Am I just conditioned to be discontent? Can I look at what I have today as God's gift of mercy? Have I ever stopped to self-reflect and ask the question, am I driving my life? Or am I being driven because I feel like life is unfair? How do you overcome those regrets? It's by being thankful. I want to give you two secrets to living your best life ever. The first secret is to treat this life like it is your best life. Because you know what? It's your only life. But how many times we're we like, this isn't my best life. That may depress some of you. Like, really? This is my best life? But if you treat it like it's your best life, it'll change the future. It'll change how you live today and how you can course correct tomorrow. You know, I have four kids, like I mentioned. That means that I had a baby every two years for six years. I had a baby for six years. It was an eternity, or so it felt. But you know what? I had people that I knew and respected for years, complete strangers in Walmart, give me the same advice. Which is what? Enjoy it. It goes by so fast. They grow up so quick. Enjoy it. Enjoy this time. Oh, I'm exhausted. How can I enjoy a crying child? I just don't enjoy it. But what it tells me, live today people that didn't enjoy it. They didn't live today like it was their best life. 
They only saw the problems. And now they can look back and regret like, oh, I wish I spent more time. I wish I cherished those moments. I wish I did that. So the secret to living your best life is saying that this life today is my best life. This is it. It may not be everything that I hoped for and everything that I wanted, but it is my best life. And tomorrow I'm going to make it better. And it will change a course for generations if we do that. What's the second, second secret? It said, are you missing joy in your life? Psalm 1611 says that you will show me the paths of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is joy in the presence of God. And how do you get in the presence of God? Psalm 100 verse four says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. We need to get into the presence of God because there is joy in the presence of God. It's joyful to be in his presence. Everything is at his right hand. And if you've never come into the presence of God and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to come into his presence with thanksgiving. If you haven't received that gift, don't miss out today. For the rest of us, if we're having a hard time being thankful, seeing what we can be thankful in our lives, you're like, you know what? I need to change my mind. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. How do we live this life as our best life? Because it is. It's the only one you got. So if you have prayer for any other reason, please come down. These altars will be open. We want to pray for you. Don't go out with an unmet expectation this morning. Come down here and get prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, that we can see the goodness of God. That we can see that you are given us all things for our good. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Lord, we choose to make thankfulness a daily attitude. While it is today, we will be thankful. We will lift up our voice and we will worship you. Father, we thank you for this time that we've come together. Lord, we're thankful that we live in this great nation. We, thank, we are thankful that you are our king and that your mercies are new today. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming out on a great Thanksgiving weekend. Please, if you have any, any prayer requests, come down. Don't leave with unmet expectations. Amen.